Dear friends, I want to share with you uh, the second part of a message I began two weeks ago entitled, The Best is Yet to Be. It is the first miracle, the first sign that Jesus did, that is recorded at least. And I want to read just one verse pertaining to Jesus turning water into wine. And that verse is uh, verse 5. Mary has come to her son Jesus and said they ran out of wine. And Jesus said, "Uh, don't bother me with that now. And then Mary went to the servants and she said to the servants, he's going to be talking to you later on. And whatever Jesus tells you to do, thou must do it. Whatever he tells you to do, thou must do it. I've often thought that though this was the first miracle recorded, it was not the first time that Jesus had done a miracle. Because Mary seems to imply when she says to the servants, he's going to come and talk to you and whatever he tells you to do, do it. It seems to imply to me that he's done the miracles before. This is the first one recorded, but he's done them before. And when he's done them before, he has elicited the hands and feet of other people. He's used other people to help him do the miracle. And that's what I want to focus on this particular week. If we do a quick review, we look at the first miracle of Jesus and we learn two lessons from that miracle. A quick review, Jesus' interest is in the commonplace commonplace people, commonplace joys, and commonplace sorrows. Our Lord, when He came to this wedding, He didn't come because they were high on the social register. He didn't come because they'd contribute money to His ministerial campaign. He came because they were two ordinary people. And the joys and the sorrows that involved themselves in their life involved themselves in His life. I said a couple of weeks ago that there's nothing you should ever say, I can't bother God about this because it's too little in the scheme of things. Whether it's health or relationships or finances or the COVID virus or racial tensions, there is nothing too little for God. If he's got the hairs on your head all numbered, Matthew 10, if a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing it, There is nothing in your everyday life, no matter how common it might be, there is nothing that does not touch the heart of God and nothing that we can't come to Him with. He didn't say to Mary, you're bothering me about they've run out of wine? You're bothering me about that? He didn't say that. He knew that He was going to perform this miracle to save this couple from as simple a thing as embarrassment. The second point I made two weeks ago, this miracle shows the purpose for Jesus coming on this earth. He came to transform and to transfigure and to glorify. Not just water into wine, but the water of our ordinary lives into pure wine that flows forth from us. He lifts the lower into the higher. He takes the world's moral waste. He takes the world's racism. 
He takes the world's fears. He takes the world's judgment. And by the time he's through with them, he's worked it into a great and good purpose. Moral waste becomes this world's moral treasure because God has transformed and transfigured. This week I want to talk with you about the method that Jesus uses to accomplish his purposes. What methods does he use? How does he work these transformations? How did he change that water into wine? I have no doubt that he could have done it without any human assistance. Could have snapped his fingers and all of a sudden the waters turned into wine. But he didn't do that. And Mary knew he wasn't going to do that. Mary went to the servants and said, he's going to ask you to do something. And when he asks you to do something for your benefit, for the benefit of others at this marriage feast, and for the benefit of your relationship with him, whatever he asks you to do, you must do it. And he says to the servants, simple thing, fill up the six stone water jars, fill them to the brim. And the servants did exactly as Jesus asked them to do. And then he says, get a dipper, pour it into a cup, take it to the head ceremonial person at this feast. And they did what he asked them to do. When he does miracles, he uses human hands and feet and hearts and eyes. He uses humanity to do his miracles. You say, Pastor, you open the waters of the Red Sea, no one's involved. I beg to differ. Moses held up the staff. And when Moses held up the staff and said, Behold the glory of God, then the waters opened. He uses human hands. The servants at the marriage feast had to cooperate with him. They had to do all that they could do before the miracle was made possible. It always is so. And what uh, Mary said to them, I say to you, <laughs> whatever he tells you to do, do it. In the secular realm, if he tells you to join the swim team or the diving team, if he tells you to join the jess club, if he tells you to join the football team or the baseball team or the cross-country team, if he tells you to take this honors class, if he tells you to join this fraternity or sorority, if he tells you to enter into this job occupation, if he tells you to end this relationship, or if he tells you to begin this relationship with someone, if he tells you to move into this neighborhood, if he tells you to put your children in our school or some other school, whatever he tells you to do, whatever you come to him in prayer, and he says, here's what he wants you to do, do it, and I'll tell you why you do it. Because he already has people... At that school, he already has people on that commuter train. He already has people at that job that you are supposed to meet for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of yourself. How many brides and grooms, when I meet with them in my office and I say, where'd you meet? They'll say they met at some place, Jewel or Osco or White Castle or wherever. 
And then they will tell me, I was only there for about three weeks. We were both there for only about three weeks, or we were both there for about three months. And I always say to them, God puts you there at that brief moment so you can meet each other. And how many times does God have some person in some place, some team, some sport, some fraternity? How many times does God have someone at that place that you're supposed to meet because you're going to be the one who reaches out to them, who touches their heart, who helps them when they're naked or hungry or in some sort of prison. You're the one. And whatever He tells you to do in the spiritual realm, if He tells you join this small group, if He tells you get out of bed, don't mow the lawn, come to church today, or listen to this online... If He tells you to sing in the choir, if He tells you to join the Reveal Band, whatever He tells you to do, stop fighting Him and do it. Because He has miracles waiting to happen. And you will be involved. When the hungry multitude of 10,000 is to be fed... Jesus doesn't say to His disciples, I'm going to take care of it. He says to them, you feed them. And the disciples say to Him, are you out of your mind? There aren't enough stores. We don't have enough money. And then Jesus prays God blessing upon Him. And when He prays, there's a little boy that comes. Andrew is walking hand in hand with him, the brother of Simon Peter. And he brings the boy to Jesus, and the boy says, Here, Jesus, five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus used the five loaves and two fish, and he feeds 10,000. He uses Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He uses the boy. And how do you think the boy felt being involved in this miracle? For the rest of his life, he could say to his children, his grandchildren, I was there on the mountain. I was the one that had the five loaves and two fish. I think that's why Jesus involves us, so that we feel part of the kingdom's work. And that changes us. How do you think the servants felt when uh, Jesus turned the water into wine? (laughs) Did they go home and tell their brothers and sisters that they go home and say, Hey, I was involved, man. I was the one who filled up the water jars. When uh, he healed the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, he needed help. He needed the four friends of this paralytic uh, to take the paralytic in a cot or on a blanket to the house. And when the house was too full to bring him in, they climb up on the roof and they make a hole in the roof and they lower him down into the presence of Jesus. He used these four men to perform this miracle on the paralytic. When he wants 120,000 people in Nineveh saved, he could have just gone there and taken care of it. But he says to Jonah, the prophet, he says, I want you to go there. And Jonah says, I'm not going. And then he gets on a boat, goes in the other direction. God could have easily said, all right, if you're going to be that way, if you're going to show me an attitude, that's fine. You go ahead. I'll take care of this myself or I'll find someone else. But he didn't do that. (laughs) There's that big storm, right? And Jonah's throwing overboard and he lands in the belly of a whale. And he's in that whale for three days. And God comes and says, Jonah... 
I'm still counting on you. And Jonah this time says, I'll be part of this miracle. I will go to Nineveh and I will preach to them. And 120,000 Ninevites come to the faith. Whatever he tells you to do, Abraham, leave your million dollar inheritance and, and go. And I'm not going to tell you where you're going, but I'll be with you. Do whatever He tells you to do, Moses. I know you stutter. I know you're very shy. I know you don't like to stand in front of people and talk. I know you'd rather be a shepherd. But whatever I tell you to do, thou must do. And He leads 1.2 million Israelites out of Egypt. Do whatever He tells you to do, Matthew, the tax collector. Do whatever He tells you to do, Peter, James, and John, fishermen. Do whatever He tells you to do. And for you and me the same. When the night has settled over all of Europe and He wants to bring in the dawning of a new day, He goes to a servant named Martin Luther. And He says to Martin Luther, this is what I want you to do. And Martin Luther listened to the voice of God when he wants to breathe a new spiritual springtime into a morally dead England. He goes to a young man named John Wesley. Whatever he tells you to do, John Wesley, thou must do. And John Wesley does the work of the kingdom. And the morally dead England comes to life as God works His miracle. Much of the transforming work of our Lord waits upon your cooperation and mine. If you want to have an abundant harvest in any place God puts you, if you want to have an abundant harvest in high school, fraternity, sorority, commuter trains, jobs, high schools, colleges, if you want a transformation in your own family units, if we want a transformation in this country, we must do what He asks us to do. And He told us in the reading, Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, Take My yoke upon you, for I am humble and gentle in hearts. My yoke is easy and My burden is light. All He asks you to do in dealings with other human beings on this earth, all He asks you to do is to love mercy. All He asks you to do is to act justly with people. And all He asks you to do is to walk humbly, hand in hand with God, not arrogantly, not narcissistically, not judgmentally, not critically. He says, walk humbly with your God. Do what He asks you to do. New command I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so ought you ought to love one another. By this will other men know that you follow me if you love one another. Do what he asks you to do. If he asks you to feed the hungry with food or with your presence because they're lonely, or if he asks you to feed the hungry with God himself because you know God and they don't, do what he asks you to do. Give drink to the thirsty, put clothes on the naked. Visit those in any sort of prison. And whether that prison is racism, or whether that prison is hatred, whether that prison is fear or worry, 
You have the antidote. You have Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Do what he asks you to do. And he's already got the people he wants you to bump into in the community, on the football team, in the fraternity. He's already got them set up. Will you pass by and not even notice they exist? Or will you be drawn to them? Because God is a magnet that wants to put the two of you together. I'm going to tell you something. I said to you last week that my oldest grandson, Miles, is African-American. I love him dearly, and he knows that. I'm going to tell you that whenever I see an African-American, I see Miles. If they're old with gray hair, I sit and say, that's going to be Miles in 50 years. If they're in their 20s or 30s, I sit and say, that's, it's going to be Miles. If they're a teenager, I say, that's Miles. And if they're a child, African-American child, uh, I sit and look at them and I think of Miles when he was five or six or seven. When I see someone handicapped, I always think of John, my son. Because when brain cancer took over, he became very handicapped. As far as walking or moving or seeing or tasting or anything, when I see someone handicapped, I see John. When I see someone uh, old driving in front of me, driving 30 miles an hour in a 50-mile zone, and my first reaction, I want to honk the horn at him. And then I look at the gray in their hair, and I sit and say, that could be my mom or dad. And I wouldn't want anyone honking at my mom or dad. And so, and so, when I see someone Hispanic, I think of my sister-in-law, married to my brother. She's from Colombia. And uh, all of a sudden, my heart changes when I see someone Hispanic because I don't see them. I see my sister-in-law. Why does God use human hands to do His miracles? His work is not less miraculous because He's assisted by human hands. It's more miraculous because when God uses us in other people's lives to do His miracles, it changes our selfish, life-is-all-about-me nature. It changes our critical, negative attitude nature, which is basic to us. It changes us. And we become just the opposite. We actually want to serve Him and others. We actually want to reach out to Him because He reminds me of Miles. We actually want to reach out to Him because He reminds me of my mom and dad. We want to reach out to them because He reminds me of Jonathan when cancer had done its worst. We look at other human beings as if they truly were our brother and our sister. If there is anything to be done in this generation toward the building of a new and better world, 
We who are alive today at this moment, we are the ones who must do it. Our Lord has no other hands or feet or eyes or minds than that which He has given to us. Will you stand for the kingdom? Will you raise your hand for the kingdom? Will you pray for the kingdom? Will you serve the kingdom? And when I say you serve the kingdom, that's a vague term, but when I tell you the kingdom is the people on this earth that God has surrounded you with, that's the kingdom. Romans 12, an operation has to be done, and the doctor is the Holy Spirit. He doesn't necessarily do the operation at Christ Hospital or Rush Presbyterian. He does the operation all over the place. With Moses, he did the operation in the middle of a desert. With the thief on the cross, he did the operation while the guy is dying on the cross, bleeding to death, suffocating. The Holy Spirit does the operation. And when he's through, you and I are no longer conformed to the world's thinking, judging people by their color, their race, their sex, their social status. We're no longer doing that. We're transformed like water into wine. And we're looking at human beings as people sent into our lives that God's miracles of kindness, grace, mercy, and love might be shown through us. And what are the results? What are the results? God always works in abundance. When He creates the universe, there's no end to it. When He wants to create stars, there are billions and trillions of them. When He wants to create mountains, He piles up the Alps, the Himalayas, and the Rockies. When He wants to make flowers, He fills the hills and fields with them. When He wants to forgive sin, the Bible says there's plenteous redemption. When He wants uh, to pardon sin, He pardons it abundantly. When He wants to give us salvation, He saves to the uttermost. And when He wants to change who we are, Ephesians 3.20, He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Heavenly Father, that first miracle You did, the best is yet to be. For us as individuals who want to draw closer to You, more mature in the faith, as individuals who want a different set of eyes as we look at people. The best is yet to be. You'll turn water into wine, using your children on this earth to reach out. And when those streams of living water have flown forth, then there will be one other transformation. A transformation in this country, in our schools, in our churches, in our businesses, a transformation where we truly walk hand in hand with each other, black and white and blue and Hispanic and Asian, and the very old and the very young and the teenagers, 
neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. We are all called to walk hand in hand with each other, for we are all one in the one name Christ Jesus our Lord. May the power of your Spirit work in the individual lives of your children on this earth. In our Savior's name, amen.